friends, welcome back to another episode of the Field and Garden Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Mason Ziegler, and hey, thanks for joining me here today. If you are new here, you can learn more about us and all that we're doing at the Gardener's Workshop. Um, We are an online virtual learning center that includes tons of resources, as well as online courses and, of course, our online garden shop, selling the same tools, seeds, and supplies that I use and talk about so very, very often. So friends, today I am sharing from a conversation that I had with Andrew Mefford of, um, he's of a lot of different things, but he's probably most recently well-known um, because of, he's an odd book author. He is the author of the book, The, the Organic No-Till Farming Revolution, The Greenhouse and Hoop House Growers Handbook, as well as a new book that'll be hitting the stands um, in the fall of 2022 called Practical No-Till Farming, A Quick and Dirty Guide to Organic Vegetable and Flower Growing. Um, And, you know, Andrew um, really has had, like I have, had, and so many of the other folks that I'm in kind of in our circle, we were unlikely farmers that took a winding journey and would have never guessed where we ended up. And um, that's kind of what Andrew is sharing with us today that, you know, he went off to journalism school, found he really didn't want to be in that world, um, but loved gardening, which led him to farming, which led him you know, down this windy path where he worked for Johnny's for seven years um, and came out living in Maine, running a farm, and then taking over Growing for Market from Lynn Bozinski. And if you're not familiar with Growing for Market, Growing for Market is a farmer's magazine. It's written by farmers for farmers, connecting us all over the world, literally, And it was started back in 1992 by Lynn Bozinski. Lynn, of course, is the author of the original book, The Flower Farmer, that started so many of us. I mean, it opened my eyes to something I didn't even know was a possibility, right? So Lynn started this back in 1992, grew it for 23 years, Um, and then Andrew took over the reins in 2015, Um, And it's just an interesting story, but I really am on this path of revealing to folks that there is more to farming than farming. There are so many pathways that can lead from there if that is your heart's desire. And um, so I'm just trying to highlight by several people that I have great respect for, Um, and just to plant some seeds and some ideas on that. So I'm going to include in the show notes below the titles of his books, of course, the Growing for Market link where he'll tell you at the end you can get a free, um, if you've never experienced it, you can get a free download to look at the magazine or actually even request a free in print um, magazine. And I think something that just really resonated with me um, that Andrew said, he's a passionate communicator, um, but he is advancing the state of local farming. And, um, you know, that's just such a big piece of this pie. So let's take a listen to um, 
Andrew share his story of going from an unlikely farmer um, to a farmer that now also is the editor of a magazine for farmers by farmers. I'm a pretty unlikely farmer just be based on where I grew up uh, because where I grew up, there aren't any farms anymore. Um, it's you know, I grew up in um, Falls Church, which is far northern Virginia, um, probably only about eight miles outside of Washington, D.C. And so it's where Virginia, Maryland and the District of Columbia come together. And it's very um, it's it's very sprawled out suburban urban kind of area. And so, you know, people uh, people don't have farms around there. Um, and I did not, I didn't think that I would be, um, farming when I was in high school. I'd be surprised if anybody else from my high school was farming. Although actually I do know of one other person who grew up in the area, didn't go to my particular high school, who's also has a very successful farm. So, um, so go figure, but, um, (laughs) just nobody, um, you know, not being an area with farms, it wasn't a, a, it wasn't a, uh, a career that I think people, thought of going into and of course your your guidance counselor there is not saying like oh I think you should consider being a farmer which is unfortunate in a way because I think a lot of people um who might enjoy farming just don't go towards it because we we, you know as a as a nation even you you know we it's been looked at as a real success that we have less than one percent of the population growing uh, the food and flowers for everybody else. And in fa- I mean, it was uh, explicitly a part of the U.S. agricultural policy, of course, with the get big or get out um, philosophy that was so strongly promoted in the 50s and 60s. And even though we're not explicitly promoting that anymore, it's still, um, it still has a big impact on our, um, our agricultural system. And so you know, my thought is that, that being a farmer can can be a very successful or, or very satisfying, what I want to say, life choice, just because if, if you enjoy doing things with your hands, if you growing, enjoy growing things and things like that, as, as you know, your listeners who are already doing it, um, no, it, it can be a very satisfying um, life choice. And so I was never directed in that um, in that way through my whole um, career. And um, I, I thought I would be a writer, which, which makes sense now because I am. And so that, <laughs> those were the things that I was drawn to. Um, in fact, sometimes, Lisa, when I'm, I'm thinking like, oh, is this really the right thing for me? Why do I run a magazine or things like that? Well, I look back, I've got stacks of notebooks just from when I was a kid. Um, I was that kid who, yeah, who had a notebook. I always had a notebook in my pocket. I'd be like, running around, writing stuff down. So I, I think it's just in my nature. I mean, my, actually my, my, um, my mom was a children's librarian there in, in Northern Virginia. And so I, I, I definitely had a lot of books around. Thanks mom. Um, and yes. so I, you know, I think, I think it's both a combination of nature and nurture and that I think it just fits my, I'm just, I'm just a writer. That's just, that's just my inclination on life. And, and it was nurtured after going to school in Montreal, I moved back to the Washington DC area and started getting in entry-level journalism jobs. And that actually kind of drove me away from journalism just because I realized that to be a journalist, I was going to live in a cubicle for the rest of my life, which is is like fine. But I I guess just that reality of just being um, 
just in my cubicle all the time made me realize how much I did not want to be in my cubicle all the time. My family had still had a farm one uh, generation back in Pennsylvania that my, my grandma, who is still alive at the time, owned. And um, none of her kids were interested in farming it. They all basically moved to the city. But um, I, as I got more and more interested in, in farming, um, what I started to do, I started having a garden um, of my own. And then I started just volunteering out, working on farms in Maryland and uh, in Virginia. And I, I, I just really liked it. it you know, I think partially it got me out of my cubicle mentality. <laughs> but I was one of those people that I would, I would come home from work and put on the headlamp and, you know, like be out there doing stuff in my garden. <laughs> and so after a while, I started to think, well, maybe I should be growing things for a living instead of, uh, you know, spending all my time during the day in a cubicle and then blowing off steam at night, like doing my gardening by headlight if, if necessary. And, um, you know, I, I hope that can be inspiring in a way, because Lisa, I know you have all these great educational uh, materials at the Gardener's Workshop. And so um, I, you know, I didn't have the background of farming. I didn't, it's not something I guess that I would be, have been doing, but um, just simply by working on other people's farms and, um, and learning about it, I learned, you know, all, all I needed um, and I also, I, th I think one other thing, just having that farm one generation back in the family helped me visualize that, oh, you know, uh, that if, if I wanted to start a farm, I might actually, um, have something or that, that would be the place to do it. And that is eventually what we did. But I also want, um, I want people who have, who are thinking about maybe starting a farm or a big garden or something like that to just know that it, there are so many places that are opening up um, between, um, you know, urban lo or lots and cities, uh, growing on top of buildings. Um, you know, the, the, I think the sky's the limit and people, I don't want people to be limited by the fact that they don't have a farm or don't have access to a farm. You know, there are these people who are, uh, who have farms that are a collection of, of uh, multiple urban or suburban yards or something like that, you know, where they piece together. They may not even own any of the land and um, they're just piecing things together, uh, you know, by using other people's land who in many cases are delighted to have them there. So, you know, I, That's I want- That's so true, Andrew. I'm so glad you said that because where there's a will, there's a way, right? I mean, I live in the middle of the city. I mean, and so I'm, I'm so glad that you touched on that because that is so, I mean, I get, I'm sure you probably do as the editor of Grown for Market and a book author get notes from people saying, oh my gosh, I'm doing it in my backyard and you're right. You know, I can grow so much in a little teeny spot. So that is a great, great point. Rooftops. I mean, there is no end to the possibilities, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, if I had any message for your, um, the, your listeners, it would be if, you know, if you have that dream, go for it. Don't, even if, even if every single point of it, for example, where am I going to grow? You know, maybe people, maybe your listeners have it, have a dream to grow, you know, grow flowers, start a, start a farm. Well, you know, just, I'd say just follow that because, um, you know, the important thing is you have the passion for it. You can figure out where it's, where to do it and where it's going to go. You know, once, once you know, 
how, how to do, um, how to grow what you want to grow. Because then that was the next part of it for me is that I was starting to seriously consider about consider working on farms full time. And so, um, what I did is I left my, um, journalism job. Well, first I found a place to land. So I, I, I got a job as an apprentice on a farm in Pennsylvania that was not too far away from my family's farm because I thought um, if I was ever going to consider farming up there, I should not only work on a farm, but also work on a farm in the area just so I'd know what it, what it's like up there. And so that really became the jumping off point for everything else that, from then on because I met my wife there for one thing. So we realized we, we liked each other. We liked what we were doing. And in fact, we took off at the end, by the end of the farm season in Pennsylvania, which was, let's say, October, um, we, what we wanted to do is just start working on another farm right away. And so, of course, that's not really happening on the East Coast. So you go down to Florida. So we were young and we went off on this big road trip and we made a big circle around the country. And um, we interviewed on on farms. Um, we, we were using the um, what was it? What is it? The Woof website Woof. and organic yeah. volunteers. And we were basically looking at all the places where people would advertise if they had openings on their farm. And we we looked at farms all over the place. We we interviewed in Washington State and Oregon and California. Did a lot. Did a lot of looking out on the West Coast. And um, so we ended up. Uh, from there, we ended up um, going out and starting work on a farm in California the following January. <laughs> I mean, that was a lot of fun because we did, we did. We just started right up. In fact, the farm had an olive orchard. Uh, one of our first jobs in January was bucking up the, the prunings from the olive, uh, the olive trees, which they used as their firewood. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, from there, we went out to California. Uh, then from there, went up and worked on a farm in, in uh, Washington State. Um, it was during that time that um, that was a big farm and we were um, spending a lot of time just doing cultivation. And that just wasn't that wasn't my favorite thing. I was really it was like I was really happy to learn how to drive a tractor and get enough practice. I was really comfortable with it. And then I, you know, I was like, OK, I know how to do that. Next. I don't really <laughs> want to do that. You know, that's yeah. the thing that got me interested in farm plants. I really I enjoy just working with plants trying to figure out how to make them grow as well as possible, trying to figure out what's wrong with them and make them better when they're not. And so, you know, for me, uh, I realized there are some farmers who live to fire up their tractor and great, yes. you know, good for you, but that's, that's just not me. And so, um, you know, I was spending all this time basically doing cultivation, just, just, you know, it's a big, big farm. I think they had almost a hundred acres in, in vegetables, including something like 20, you know, maybe 20 acres in potatoes, 20 acres in cover crops, but still a hundred acres. So that's a lot, that's a lot of, it's a lot of weeding right there. Yeah. And granted, I mean, that you know, it was all mechanical. They had, you know, a lot of right. weeding tractors, but I just, I, just doing all this cultivation, I thought there's gotta be a better way. And that's when I found out that there was a professor named Ron Morse, um, who was studying no-till back in, at Virginia Tech. And so what we were doing at the time is we were going off working on and farm jobs in the summertime and then we were coming back and, and, um, and working jobs in Northern Virginia to save money to start our farm. And so um, I was like, well, what the heck? I'm, I'm going back to Virginia where I'm from and this guy's down there. And, and at that time, so this is 2005. So that's, we're 17 years ago. And so there was very little about no-till, you know, it, it, um, 
at, at that time. And so this was one of the few places other than the USDA NRCS was studying it. The Rodale Institute, of course, was studying it. In fact, my the professor that I worked for down at Virginia Tech, he was working with the Rodale and, and USDA. They were all basically working together to try to figure out how to how to um, get these no-till systems to work. And and that um, so I asked this professor if during the winter when I was back in Virginia for just to work, I asked this professor if I could come down and pick his brain. Uh, you know, I just looked him up online and was like, hey, can you know, I'm interested in no-till. I've worked on farms. Can I come and 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 talk to you about that? And he was like, sure, come on down to Blacksburg. And so so um, my wife and I, we did come down and met with him and he was very interesting. And he ended up offering us a job because yeah, I mean, I think it was kind of a job interview because I guess after working for him for a while, I think one thing that ha happened is that most of the people that he was getting to work for him just really didn't care. You know, they weren't, right. they weren't invested in the farm side of things. They, you know, they just needed a job, which is great. But, um, you know, apparently the work wasn't maybe the highest quality. And so here, you know, I, at that point, I worked on farms for two full years at that point. And so I guess he must have liked us because he offered us a job, took him up on that. And so we ended up working in Blacksburg the following year on this um, no-till research farm, which was interesting wow. because what they were doing, they were getting grants from, from some from the government, but also from big produce companies who, who wanted to see if um, they could make no-till um, vegetable growing that was as um, as productive as sort of like the conventionally tilled. Uh, yeah. And it, so it was organic growing, you know, it was organic practices, but it was um, comparing, you know, so we would have split plots. We would have plots that were sort of like rototilled and conventionally tilled. And then we would have till plots that were no-till. And that was mostly taking uh, what I call the roller crimper method. So basically take, growing a really, really thick stand of a cover crop rolling it down to kill the cover crop. And then, then that cover crop becomes your mulch and you plant, right. you put transplants straight through the cover crop. And so um, that was, that was really interesting. And that was also our third year of farming full time of working for other people. And so the following year, uh, my wife, whose name is Ann uh, and I, we, well, we were just kind of like, all right, are we going to start this farm or not? You know, now it's like, all right, we've worked for other people for three years. We could work for other people for the rest of our lives, but we also, right. some, it's sort of like that. It's like the, it's the when to take the leap conversation. Yeah, I remember having, we're like, okay, we've worked for other people for three years. Um, is it now or never? And so we decided, yeah, it was. And so we, we did start a farm. We originally started our farm on a farm that my grandma uh, owned. Uh, she's passed away now, but at the time she still owned the farm in Pennsylvania. And, and that was a great way to get our start because you know, we were kind of uh, in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. And then we were, we were, we got into the farmer's market in the town where I grew up there in Virginia. So we, we were in the, the Falls Church farmer's market that first year, and we were looking for other outlets too. But one of the great things was that Falls Church being so urban, suburban, you know, a lot of no, most people didn't have gardens that right. did money, you know, it was a pretty well-paying paid area. Um, you know, there's a lot of jobs there in Northern Virginia. Um, and so we could, we could grow our vegetables up in Pennsylvania and then truck them into a really, 
you know, a, a, an area that was really excited, excited to see them. And so, so we started our farm there. Unfortunately, we, the, the farm was really, was a well, big farm. It was bigger than we could have, um, we could have afforded without some um, real cooperation from the family. And some of our family, I mean, it was, unfortunately, um, I know other people, um, in fact, they're in Northern Virginia that have been in this situation where, uh, you know, the, the farm is going to go from one generation to the next. And then people are, you know, some people maybe would like to keep the farm in the family. Some people would like to sell it because it's worth a lot of money as quickly right. as possible. And so that's what happened to us. And so after uh, being there, we realized that we probably weren't going to have the use of this farm anymore, which at the time we were pretty um, upset about just because we, we saw ourselves there for the rest of our lives. And so we, f we regrouped and we figured that the best way to make lemonade was to go and work for other people's farms again, because honestly, after we're, after starting our own farm, we realized that there were things that we wish we knew um, and had learned the first time. And we certainly wouldn't have done that if we didn't have this unfortunate situation where we had to leave the, where we, we thought uh, we were going to be farming, but it did, it did get a, give us the opportunity to learn more things. So, so um, after farming in Pennsylvania for a while, we went and we got a farm. Uh, we, we worked on a farm in upstate New York for one year. In fact, at the time we were trying to sort of like massage the family situation and see if, see if we could get it to work out. We were hoping so that we could work the situation out so we could go back to the farm that we had already started. Um, and over the course of that year and the next, it became clear it wasn't going to work out. So the following year, we went and we apprenticed on a farm in um, in Maine. And so that's our fifth year. You know, we so not by design, but by, you know, by accident. What, what do they say? Life is what happens when you made other plans. Right. So yeah. that's kind of what was happening to us is we, we, we were like, okay, great. We worked for other people for three years. We're ready to start this farm, started a farm, then went back to apprenticing for other people for two more years. And it was then when we were out working on this farm out on the coast of Maine, we realized it was just never going to work out for us to get back to Pennsylvania. So we thought, well, we should probably figure out where, you know, a new location to, to move our farm to. And so that's why, you know, we were in Maine. We never in, you know, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make the point. This was not our grand scheme plan. You know, we weren't like, okay, oh, we'll work for other people for five years and then move to Maine. <laughs> but that's how it, that's how it happened. So we, while we were working on this farm out on the coast of Maine, we thought we, we like Maine a lot. Um, despite not growing up here, I actually, I really appreciate the, um, just the, the four different seasons because, um, you know, I've gotten, uh, and my kids really enjoy it. Now that we have kids, they really like skiing and skating and all that kind of stuff. Um, which if, you, you pretty much have to be good with if you're not going to hate right. living in a Northern climate like this. And so, um, I really enjoy it now, but it definitely, um, definitely was not the plan. And so, and also, uh, you know, on the topic of not the plan, well, we just happened. So we found this farm in central Maine that just happened to be about half an hour away from the Johnny selected seeds research farm. And so, um, one thing that a lot of farmers do around here is go work for Johnny's in the winter time, right? Because, because winter is so long and so cold and in a, in a way that's good because I remember when we were working in California and out in Washington state, 
just all the farmers we worked for seemed so burned out. Yeah. <laughs> and I no think rest. Barbara, yeah. Well, because no they can grow pretty much all year round, they do, and all their competition is. And so I think they just get they just get ground down and burned out. I mean, you know, it sounds really great to be like, I'm gonna grow 52 weeks a year, I'm gonna go grow year round. And it, it can be great, but I, I would, you know, caution people if you're, whether you're in a warm climate and you can actually grow 52 weeks of the year, more or less outside, or if you're, if you're in a cooler climate and you're thinking about going extensively into to greenhouses and hoop houses and things like that, just hire some people or some, you know, just think about, think about the wear and tear that will happen on your body if you're actually farming 52 weeks of the year. And no matter how much you love it, we all need, we all need breaks from the things that we do for a living. And so you might be able to do that for a year or two, but yeah, you know, I'd say if, if you're planning on growing year round, have, have a, a, a plan, plan to hire employees. So you're not doing all of those harvests, all of the planting for 52 weeks all year round, because that's actually a situation we found ourselves at, you know, we said, all right, we're not like, the West Coast was great. We learned a lot there, but we were a, you know, land prices were really high just because it's such good agricultural land. It's relatively expensive. We didn't want to get burned out. So what did we do? We came back to Maine and then started started farming year round with using a lot of high tunnels and, um, you know, row cover inside high tunnels and stuff like that. And we kind of like burned out, you know, we realized it's really, it's really great to have supply for 52 weeks of the year, but it was also it was also really taxing. And so um, one thing that happened was that um, we just did, we just did what a lot of other growers around here do, which is to work at Johnny's in the wintertime. And it's a, it's a really great, um, it's a really great thing for a lot of growers. I think it's a great thing for growers and for Johnny's because what happens is that because our winter is so long, unless people are really dedicated to um, season extension or, or, you know, doing a lot of heating that you really do kind of have to take a break up in the winter time up here, which is, yeah, uh, can, can be good. And so what happens is a lot of, a lot of the commercial growers up here, uh, like right in this area, I'd say, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes away from Johnny's, we'll, we'll go work for Johnny's in the winter time. Right. And that's what I did. You know, my first winter up here, I was like, hi, this is Andrew. Thanks for calling Johnny's. You know, what, what, what you know, like what seeds do you want to order um and i think it's actually good so it's good for the growers because it you know if they need it it gives them a, a non-farm source of income in the winter time it's also good for the people because it meant that um most of the people on the horn knew what they were talking about and right. that was the whole point yeah so the you know at least not to get too into the weeds here but at least at johnny's they had their their phone lines divided up into commercial growers and home garden. And so they put us on the commercial grower line because they knew that we were. And so if people right. had said like, oh, how does this variety grow or, you know, had commercial growing questions, we could answer a lot of them just off the top of our heads because we it's what we were doing at the time, too. So that was really great. And it helped us just sort of like get get started, particularly that first winter where we are just moving in, getting established up here, didn't have a, a, a income flow from the farm yet, you know, it allowed us to earn some money and save a little bit of money over the winter time. And in fact, my wife and I, we both did that. So our first winter, we were both there on the phones working at Johnny's. And so what happened is that over the course of that winter, they fired their um, tomato specialist or I, what it is, is a, uh, they call them a trial tech technicians. Okay. So 
they're the people who, um, well, uh, let me back up for a second. So let's say you're looking at your seed catalog and you see all those new varieties every year. And you're like, where, where the heck do the, all these come from? You know, how are people finding these? Well, I know different, different companies use different strategies, but at Johnny's, um, they do a lot of trialing. And so that, um, I ended up getting the job as a trialer for a, 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 a broad range of crops, but including um, tomatoes. So that, because I, I have a tomato obsession. And so when, and they post all their positions internally at Johnny's. So we were already working there and they said, oh, we're going to need, you know, we're hiring for this job as a, as a tomato. See, to me, it's the tomato trialer because I have a tomato obsession. <laughs> there are other crops too, which is actually interesting because when uh, I was, when I was at Johnny's, the company was growing a lot and it went from when I started there, there were two people, all the, all the vegetable crops were divided up between two people. Wow. And they had a couple of people. Yeah. And they had a couple of people, other people doing dedicated to flowers. And so it, you think about it. Yeah. You, you know, half for one person to have to be doing the trialing as far as both setting up the trials and figuring out what varieties should be included, what the new varieties are. And then doing all those evaluations um, was just, it was, it was the opposite of special of being a specialist. You're basically a generalist. And (laughs) because, and so um, one thing that was really great over the time that I was at Johnny's is they, they were hiring more technicians because within my first year of being there, we went to, we went from two to three and then pretty quickly went three to from three to four. And I, I can't even remember. They were just gradually adding more. And also because we were seeing so much growth in greenhouse growing, uh, my position also developed into a specialized greenhouse position uh, because there was just so people were, people were building uh, high tunnels. The NRCS program was going on. So people were building high tunnels like crazy and building greenhouses. And so, and that was also something I was really into, right? If you consider, I just moved from Pennsylvania where you can grow a great, great field tomato to Maine where it's probably not worth it. Certainly that's the, that's the decision we made. It's not worth it to try to grow large fruited tomatoes out in the field. Um, so that, so I got really into um, greenhouse growing to get my precious tomatoes. And so um, that's how that whole thing happened. It was just serendipitous. We just happened to move close enough to Johnny's that um, to their research farm, actually, they got a few locations here but um, that I started, I got that job as a trial technician and ended up doing that for the next seven years. And so really my wife was managing our farm, including, you know, all aspects of day-to-day management, including, uh, you know, managing apprentices and employees and stuff like that. And while I worked full-time for Johnny's and then I, especially before we had kids, I was, I was just, got the headlight out again, you know, doing stuff at night and on weekends, you know how it is, Lisa. So, um, but you weren't was, in a cubicle then at least. Right, ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, at least I was getting outside and it was one of those things is it was just an, such an exciting time to be building our farm again. And just so excited, you know, it was overwhelming in a way cause it was a lot of work, but I think anybody who starts a farm will find that, but it was also, it was, it had this great synergy because, uh, during the daytime I was going off to Johnny's and I would travel, you know, seven or 10 times a year. And so that was putting me in touch with 
uh, seed, you know, seed breeders, university researchers, larger commercial growers, uh, the, you know, the kind of farms that I had never, uh, bigger farms than I had ever grown on. So on the way hand, I was in my day job, I was learning so much. And then I, then I was coming home and trying all that stuff out and trying varieties that I was seeing at work out. In fact, I used to think that was a great sign is that when, when I, when I would see a variety and trial at Johnny's and be like, Oh, I need that on my farm. You know, it's that like, that's probably a good one for the variety, for the yeah. catalog, or we should be thinking about it. So, um, so that's, that is so amazing though. You know, it's like, that was a big part of your stepping stones, right? I mean, to learn so much in your day job to apply to what your passion is and what your real life is going to be later on. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Working at Johnny's was really great, both for me. And I mean, it was a good place to work, you know, pe with friendly people who are interested in what they're doing. And in a lot of ways, yeah, most of the things that I'm doing now, I did not foresee, you know, I didn't say uh, we wanted to start a farm. I did not foresee getting involved with the magazine. Johnny's just happened to be serendipitous, but you're exactly right. There was a lot of synergy between what I was doing for Johnny's and, um, and what I was doing on the farm. And that also led me to growing for market because um, I, so as I explained, I, I had this writing background. So I actually went to school for journalism, but I got, you know, I actually, I got more interested in farming. And so I thought, I thought really then, okay, I was going to be a farmer full-time, but with my writing background, it's funny. I, I thought like, oh, it would be great to write an article for Growing for Market someday. That would be fun uh, because we had, we had gotten Growing for Market for years. Um, in fact, my, my father-in-law had gotten us a subscription. They, you know, they, they used to call it the beginner special where you get like a year yep. or two worth of magazines yep. up front at, and past issues yep i remember right and then you know like you get a year subscription plus the previous two years or something like that i actually hate to say i'm foggy on the details because we st we stopped doing it just because everything's so digital these days you know right. we got so i mean you know if if people aren't familiar with the magazine in addition to putting out a magazine 10 times a year we also have something like 1600 articles archived we, what we do is we take the the articles from each magazine and then we we relay them out as HTML, just meaning that you can search the individual articles instead of having to page through pages and pages of magazine magazines. So now the digital essentially archive has sort of supplanted that paper archive. But that, you know, growing for market was an important entry point for us into farming. We had probably been getting the magazine for maybe a decade um, before we even uh, uh, before we took it over. Uh, because it was it was started in 1992 by Lynn Bazinski, which probably a lot of your uh, your your listeners may know. She's the author of the 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 flower farmer, which is is still a great book. You know, we still sell it. It's still a great book, um, a great introduction to flower farming. And so, um, she had been doing it for for such a long time. We had been we had been getting growing for market for many years, and at some point while I was working at Johnny's. I met Lynn. And so I, I pitched her an article, you know, I, I, I think it was a tomato, you know, how to grow good tasting tomatoes or choosing tomato tomatoes. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So of course, with my tomato obsession, it played into that. And so it's from there, I ended up writing, I don't know, three or four articles for growing for market for a number of years in a row. And um, then in, I want to say, I think it's 2015, she asked me if I would 
consider taking the magazine over from her simply because at that point she had been doing it for, I think she'd been doing it for 23 years at that point. Mm. And so um, she was just, I think she was just ready to, uh, to move on to other things. In fact, she did, she, she and her family run, um, run seeds from Italy um, from their, from their home in, in Kansas now. And so um, I, as much as I liked working for Johnny's and it was interesting. And um, I mean, it was, it was just so great to be able to see all those varieties. In fact, what I tell people about my time at Johnny's is that, you know, what I was doing as far as running trials on all these varieties, I think is what I, I was getting to do what most gardeners and farmers deep down really want to do anyway, which is plant one of everything in the catalog, right? Don't, don't you want to see every single one of those varieties? That was my job. I was so lucky to get to do that. Where, you know, that was, I was getting paid to, you know, scope everything out because how, how we made the decisions is that um, we would grow, we would grow all the current varieties um, at Johnny's. And I think this, you know, doesn't matter if it's flower, vegetable, whatever, herbs, you know, every, every year Johnny's would pretty much grow out all the varieties they were currently selling. And then also add all the new varieties that the breeders that we worked with um, had developed people, people just sent us seeds, you know, out of the blue that, that you know, either their great, you know, my grandma has pr preserved this variety for however many years, or that this is my backyard breeding project. So we would look at stuff. People sent us everything. So, you know, it was my job to try and look at everything, um, that I could get my hands on and that I thought was appropriate that customers would have an interest in and then essentially compare it to what we are currently selling and make that decision is what we're currently selling the best thing we should just stick with it or should we you know should we switch over to some new variety and so that was just fascinating and 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 uh, and I learned so much but I also um by that point we had young kids and um even though it's not the worst commute in the world um it's nothing like where I grew up I mean, that, that's a big part of why I left Northern Virginia is because even though it's a perfectly nice area, I just can't handle the traffic and just, yeah. the, you know, just the suburban sprawl and everything. So um, I found myself in, instead of a 40, uh, a 45 minute commute staring at someone's taillights, I found myself with a 45 minute commute, you know, driving back and forth through a rural area. I'd say, you know, if I got in a traffic jam, it's because I got stuck behind the manure spreader. Right. But um <laughs> But, but still, still, time. still, yeah. still spending a lot of time, yeah, away from the farm, away from my family. And so when Lynn approached me with the, about taking over growing for market from her, um, I, you know, looked at it really seriously and we ended up deciding it would be a good thing for me and for our family. Uh, it, it, you know, it was a, I've been working from home ever since 2016. Uh, so, so we worked it, we worked it out with Lynn so that we, so I was going to take over growing for market and become the editor. And it's also essentially our family business. You know, she started it. So I'm the editor and we also own it and run it out of our farmhouse. And so, um, in 2016, I, so I left my, my job at Johnny's at the end of 2015, specifically to take over growing for market and just started right up, um, that in, in, with it in 2016. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And so that's, these are all things 
you know, if, if you had asked me where I was going to be 20 years ago, I would not have said running a magazine from a farmhouse on a working farm in Maine. But (laughs) I mean, that's, it's, it's serendipity. And it's, I mean, it's actually kind of fun to think about it all because it's one of those things where, you know, we didn't, we didn't know exactly how it was all going to work out. You know, we definitely encountered some adversity in fact, in that, you know, our original farm where we thought we were going to be didn't end up being available to us. And it's just, you know, I just feel really lucky. We, We lucked into a lot of it as far as, you know, we just happened to buy a farm that was a half an hour away from Johnny's, which led to a really interesting job for the next seven years, which led to, you know, an, an, another really interesting job being growing for market in that it really marries the, you know, two of my, my passions as far as, as, you know, being a writer and communicator. And also I, you know, I have the passion for, for, for growing. And so I can deal with both of those. And I, and also I feel like I can help make connections between people too, because you know, if, if your readers aren't familiar with growing for market, our articles are written by other growers. So um, it's a really interesting thing for me because on a month to month basis, I mostly work with different people um, because it's not like a lot of publications where you have the same writers, just different topic month to month. Most of our writers write one or two or three articles about things that are going on their farm and and they're not really regulars for us. Uh, So it's fun for me because I get to hear about all this neat stuff that people are doing on their farms. I feel like I help to make connections between people and hopefully advance the state of, of local farming because I think that farmers are the most innovative people in farming. You know, they're the ones out there they're the ones who are day to day dealing with the pests, the diseases, the equipment problems, the like, oh, I wish I had a tool for that. So I'm going to go duct tape it, weld it or like whatever, you know. So I feel like on the one hand, there's a lot of innovation going on on farms where, where farmers are just developing solutions to the problems they encounter on, the, on a day to day basis. On the other hand, we're a very spread out group. You know, there's not... Uh, you know, if you, if you hear those statistics about how only 1% of the population is, is doing the farming for the other 99%. Well, if you looked at the people who are doing local farming, it's a fraction of that 1%. And there's been great growth in that. If you look at, you know, the USDA keeps statistics of the number of um, farmers markets that there are, there's been a huge growth in, in farms and farmers markets going into that local selling into local markets uh, right now. And I mean, lately, it just seems like flowers have been on fire. I mean, it just seems like people are starting flower farms in a way that has just... It's changed everything. Yeah. Yeah, it really has. I mean, I I really think you and Lynn were just way ahead of the curve. We, you know, writing your flower books. um, And and, I mean, it's really interesting how... uh, I think, I mean, obviously there was a market for them back then, but I think you guys were just ahead of your, ahead of your time because now it's, it's, it seems like, like, I don't know if you can explain it any better, but all I know is at the magazine, we've just gotten so much interest from um, people with flower questions and wanting to start flower farms. And a lot of times, you know, when people subscribe to the magazine, they put their farm name on there. And a lot of times it's, you know, like, so-and-so flower farm or something like that it just it just seems like 
I don't know what's in the water out there, Lisa, but it just seems like flower farms are, are blowing up right now. And so, um, you, you know, I think that, uh, but we're still very, you know, the numbers are increasing. And I think that's really great because there's a lot of great things that, that go with having a functioning local farm economy. Um, but but um, the, the people are, even though there's more and more of us, we're still really spread out. You know, yeah. some, some, some areas, in fact, I mean, paradoxically, it tends to be more heavily um, populated areas that also support more market farmers. Because of course, if you're selling into a local market, you need enough people in there to, to you know, to right. support some farms. So some, I know some areas have a thriving local food scene and flower scene, and they have, you know, a lot of growers they can network and, and, and talk with. But there's also a lot of people who are very spread out and may not have any neighbors doing what they're doing. And so the way I see growing for markets, a way to both find the best ideas that people are coming with up with on their farms and, and make those connections. Like, you know, yeah. as I try to get the best ideas from other people's farms in the magazine. So hopefully, hopefully, who, you know, whoever reads it, I know local farming is a very diverse bunch of people. Some people grow veg exclusively. Some people grow flowers. Some people grow both. You know, there's all different kinds of markets from farm stand to uh, farmer's market and CSA. There's so many different ways that I know in, in our magazine, not every single article is going to be for everybody. But what I'm hoping is that we can take the best art, the best timely ideas too, right? Because we're in a very, such a timely business, you know, try to have, yeah. we're having articles about seed starting and, you know, varieties, variety selection and all that kind of stuff right now. And we're going to transition them more into field growing articles through the summertime. But you know, my idea is I try to get a diverse collection of timely topics every month. So hopefully somebody gets that magazine and there's five or six stories in it. Hopefully at least one of them will, will resonate. Cause I figure if we can give, you know, people one good idea from each magazine that that should more, uh, you know, more than pay for the, the cost of the magazine. So, um, I do feel like what's, you know, what's turned in my, into my career has sort of ended up as one unexpected leap, um, and, and a lot of serendipity and, and obviously help from help from people along the way. Um, you know, we benefited you're so right about that. You are um, you've just kind of been guided from one step to another. And I think that happens for a lot of people, but they have to do what you did. They have to take the leap. They have to do it. You know, that is that not, you know the real bottom line. And you know what I wanted to say to you about growing for market, growing for market was like my lifeline. You know, people don't understand that just 20 some years ago, we barely had the internet, you know, getting that magazine in the mail. And um, you're right. You know who I learned a lot from that helped me with cool flowers was Pam Dawling because she mm -hmm. would talk about growing cool weather vegetables. And I gleamed a lot of them. So you can get as much as you want out of that magazine, no matter really where I believe where you are in farming from business stuff to equipment to everything. So it's, um, I mean, just kudos to you. It's you've landed in the right place, I think. Um, and we really, really do appreciate it. Yeah. Well, good, good. I'm glad. Um, I'm glad it's been useful. You know, that's, that's what I think about at the end of the day is that um, I want local farming to succeed. You know, I, I, I enjoy it myself, but also I think, I think there's benefits to us personally and as a society to have functioning local, local 
local farm economies and which really got vanishingly small i would think probably a 70s or 80s were kind of a low low water point for local farming and and um so you know at the end of the day i asked myself did i advance local farming you know that's the way i look at it if we do a good job at the magazine hopefully we're making it easier for local growers to do their to do their job and um so yeah um i think it's true when actually that's that's one thing that lynn told me when i was asking her about how growing for market came about she said well she and her husband were there in in um kansas running their farm and um they were looking stuff up you know the 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 resources you know when she started back in 1992 they're just what you said um lisa they're just were not the resources and that's why i love the the you know the the things that you're doing with gardeners workshop there's so many more ways to to learn that stuff now uh, there's so many more places, Gardener's Workshop being one of them, because I realized one of the things that I benefited from was also being young enough. And, you know, we were young and didn't have kids that we and we didn't have a whole lot of expenses that we could do something kind of crazy. Like, hey, let's go move to someone's farm in California, live there and learn how to farm. But, not, you know, I realized, you know, people may be coming to that later in life, may may not be able to just like just leave their job. They may have kids and may not just be able to like, oh, hey, I'm going to go work on someone's farm. And so all the resources that are online, you know, the kind of videos and things that you're putting together, I feel like it just gives people more more inroads. You know, maybe, mm-hmm. that you know, that way, if they're not ready to just quit their job and go start a farm, they can kind of like get your videos and stockpile ideas and build, you know, build out their farm idea before they have to take that leap. But yes, I would say, you know, if you have the passion, leap, you know, figure out, you know, do do a lot of planning. It's important to plan, but, you know, be, you know, figure, figure out how you can make that leap uh, because it's, it's, if you got the passion for it, it can be a really satisfying, uh, it can be a really satisfying way of life. And it can, you know, it, it can also be, a, a it can be profitable and be, you can, um, right. you can support your family too. You can make it, you can make it a livelihood uh, if you want to. And so um, I'm just, yeah. I'm just, I'm really happy to steward growing for market in the future, but I'm also really happy to see that there's so many more places now where people can get those ideas from. Well, I think, um, I mean, I have no, I, I, it's more than a one go-to place, right? So we all, you're right. There's just, we have a lot of riches. So, you know, so people are going to be looking for your newest book coming out in the fall sometime. And so where, and so growingformarket.com also sells books, correct? I mean, that's a good place to find some of the farm and books. And of course your books are there. Um, but I'm pretty sure booksellers everywhere have your books and we'll have your new one, right. That's coming out. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. This fall, it'll be, it'll, the, the new book will be out. And, um, yeah, we do, we do sell books, which once again was something Lynn started doing because, you know, small farm or local farm information used to be, um, a lot harder to come by. And so she was, she would, you know, I look at it as we, you know, we don't, we carry books, but we don't carry every single farm book that comes out. You know, we've, we, I I think of it as a carefully curated selection because, you know, we, we specifically put, pick books that are relevant to, to, um, broad, yeah. To small, to the small farms, vegetables and flat, you know, very specifically vegetables and flowers, you know, we're not, not, you know, 
we keep we keep our focus right we're not talking about growing wheat we're, we're unless maybe for ornamental but you know we're not talking about growing fields of wheat we're talking about growing market direct market crops vegetables and flowers and, and I, sh I should point out um if people are not familiar with growing for market they can go to the website and request a free digital or print copy right i mean they can go if they just go to the website like you said growingformarket.com people can there's a button if they if they're digital they can just download a, a issue and see what we're about if people like paper there's a little sign there's a little form they can give us our address we'll send them a copy of the magazine so i, I encourage I encourage your listeners, if you're not familiar, um, head over to the website and we'd be happy to send you a copy of the magazine at no charge so you can check it out. That's awesome, Andrew. And, you know, I really enjoyed listening to kind of how your love of becoming a farmer kind of took a little side road, but the side road really helped. And I think that's something I really want to point out in, you know, several of the podcasts that I have coming down the hopper is, you know, when you start out as a farmer, that doesn't mean you're just going to stay a farmer. That is just a rich ground to cultivate and to have so many different pathways to go. And we don't have time to talk about all the different pathways that I think of different people doing things today that, you know, they started out as a farmer. That's where their passion kind of grew from. So thank you so much for kind of sharing your story with us today. That was really awesome. I know I feel, um, that is, and that's a really great thing to know about Johnny's. I mean, I didn't realize that perhaps some of those people were really farmers. That never occurred to me before. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really pretty awesome. So thank you for joining me here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I mean, it's funny. Uh, we're so, I think we're so immersed in our own day to day that I, you know, it's, we don't reflect um, often enough in sort of just, just, um, talking about it with you now made me uh, appreciate in a way that it is, you know, it's, it's been an interesting journey and, um, and not, not everything was positive, but I had a lot of help, had a lot of serendipity. And now I'm, I'm really happy. I am happy where I ended up because, you know, the magazine, there's always interesting challenges, be a pandemic or be the weather, be a yeah. new past, you know, but, but it's, uh, you know, I, I am happy it's not without challenges, but I'm also happy, happy where I ended up. And it, it, it allowed me to reflect on how it was, you know, a very, a very um, winding journey, a lot of, a lot of side trips that I didn't anticipate, but it, it, you know, got, got to an interesting place. So thank you for having me on and letting me um, share and reflect on that a little bit. Sure. It was our pleasure. And um, till we meet again, friends, ciao. All right, folks, <laughs> um, you know, it's just, isn't it just inspiring to hear other people's stories, particularly when their stories don't go the way that they actually thought maybe they would, um, and that people that get to spots like where Andrew is, it wasn't because they had some great plan and scheme to do that. It just was kind of like nat natural next steps, and um, just totally love bringing that to you. Um, and I'm also going to put the link, the WOOF link, which is, um, I think it stands for the World Organization of Organic Farms, where people can go and intern. I'll include that um, below. And 
So friends, I just love bringing this information to you and I hope it's inspiring. I hope it's empowering and encouraging and sowing seeds in your way. Um, And if you're enjoying my podcast, I would love for you to share it with your friends. But also the most significant thing you can do for me is to just write a review and to rate it. Um, That makes the podcast app that you listen on show my podcast to more people. Um, And that's how we're going to grow the farming population, y'all, is for more farmers, more people to learn that it is a possibility and there are ways to do it. And there are so many different ways, which is what we are really loving bringing to you. Um, So friends, you can learn more about everything that we're doing over at thegardenersworkshop.com. And friends, until we meet again, ciao.